Hey, uh, we are back. This show that you've learned to love and watch grow, Fashion Is Your Business, is rebranding soon. We will have an expanded focus beyond fashion and with new hosts, Alicia Lanzo, Simeon Siegel, along with myself, Pup and Ball. You know, I've been thinking about how the landscape of brand and innovation has evolved tremendously since first launching. We'll focus now more broadly on how innovative brands develop direct engagement and successful relationships with their customers. I hope you enjoyed the new vibe. And starting September, this show will officially rebrand as Direct to Community Podcast presented by Bellwether Culture. This is Direct to Community Podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Pub and Ball. On this show, you'll hear how leaders, innovators, and investors building today's most innovative product brands drive value, experience, and connect meaningfully with their customers. Today, our guest started off his career as a journalist working as a contributor to ESPN and a writer for the New York Times. He moved on to become a senior producer at RGA, which is arguably one of the most notable or high-performing digital agencies. From there, senior director of branded content at the Bleacher Report, Beckley Mason. He is now the VP of brand at Athletic Greens as of September 2021. And Athletic Greens, if you have been under a rock, over the last few years. They are founded in 2010 in New Zealand. Athletic Greens initially built a cult following amongst athletes and the wellness crowd for its one and only product, a powdered beverage that combines more than nine essential nutrition products into one bootstrapped for a majority of their tenure. So up until recently, up until like $100, $150 million, started getting some money in. July, they announced a pretty significant round, but even more significant was last week where they announced $115 million at a $1.2 billion with a B valuation to essentially become the next healthy alternative to, let's say, Gatorade. Beckley, welcome to the show. Greetings and salutations. Thank you for having me. Thrilled to, uh, in my four short months, to have driven the valuation up into uh, the billions. I think I can take a lot of credit for that. You know, they were bootstrapping and grinding for years and years and years. And Beckley shows up with the wand. Exactly. <laughs> That's it. That's all it took. And of course, I want to introduce my co-host. Of course, we have Alicia Alonzo the ever-so-talented brand expert and the always-clever or forever-clever Mr. Simeon Siegel. I add no valuation, maybe a little sarcasm. <laughs> Good deal. So let's start here. Obviously, a pretty significant week over there internally. You've been over here for about five months now. How are you feeling, man? Feeling good. It was a special thing to be a part of. Working on the brand side, got to be behind the scenes on kind of what that story was going to be, seeing how we were trying to get it placed, how we were trying to get certain messages to pull through. You know, I don't know how many times in my career I'll get to be on a team that's doing something like this. So just trying to take it in and really appreciate it, learn from it. And yeah, just stay super motivated because, you know, that's the hard part. Once you have that money, one of the things that happens is you have a lot of options that maybe you didn't have when you weren't so cash flush. So 
now it's a big prioritization and everybody has huge ambitions over here. And so how do we get all those to point in the right direction and make sure we're making the most of this moment? You just hit something that, that I want to want to get to in a little bit, because a lot of companies took COVID money and made some made prudent decisions, some did not. So we'll get there. But before we talk about Athletic Greens, let's talk about Beckley a little bit. You went from being a journalist to being on brand. So how does that go? And then this is coming from an analyst who does a, a similar idea of I look at other companies without actually getting my feet wet or hands dirty or whatever that phrase is supposed to be. So talk about the transition from going to an observer to being someone who's actually affecting change. Yeah, so I got into media just basically because I loved basketball and I was writing about it. I was coaching basketball, high school ball in uh, the D.C. area, and I you know, got kind of like depressed at the end of a season and started writing. I'd always loved writing. I was an English major. Back when you could start blogging and people could find you that way and the world wasn't you know flattened out by social media, so ended up covering the league for ESPN and the New York Times from like a very kind of bloggy stats and, and insights point of view. And I think the transition, you know, was sort of very gradual where every step made sense if you just looked at the previous step, but then you look five steps away and you're like, how did this happen? So, you know, going from blogging, writing about the NBA to writing copy for Nike and other brands around sport made sense, right? I was like, I was used to writing punchy sentences and headlines. I was used to finding that thing that was going to really connect with people and be want to be shareable and, and kind of carry that voice. So that was an easy transition. And then when I was blogging, I was also the editor. I was, you know, running the site, quote unquote, designing it. And so getting into production and, and running accounts and calendars and building out that muscle also you know, as one step over from copywriting made sense. And then I Bleacher Report on the brand side really basically was running an internal agency at, at BR and Turner Sports to create content for our partners who wanted to take BR's voice in sports, connect it with their brand and connect it with our consumers. And again, that's like one click over from just being at a traditional agency. And doing all that, I got a really great sense of what was moving the needle, you know, in terms of engagement and kind of like brand love and interaction, you know, seeing it on the front lines. And I think when AG, when my boss was looking for someone to hire, I think he wanted maybe not something, I don't have an MBA. I'd never worked on a brand team before, but I had certain skills around content development, strategy development, that I think were really interesting for him as he was thinking about how do we, and Chris, our founder, how do we have a marketing and a brand organization that sort of faces the future? And one of the big luxuries that I've had is when I came in, there were two people on the brand team. And so I haven't been needing to reorganize things to retrain people. And a lot of brands have kind of had to rip things up from the roots as social and, and other things have come to the fore. We get to build thinking about, okay, what's going to happen in a few years versus how can we retrofit an operation that was built for certain mediums to fit now? You missed a critical part of your personal marketability and strength, which is the opportunity to interview Steph Curry and then afterwards beat him in a a round of a three-point shootout, um, <laughs> which I'm sure is the reason you got hired over there. But yeah, no, that's uh, it's it's completely unverifiable, and so it's the best kind of thing to put in your link. No, actually, uh, that was a pretty interesting day. I think my 
I'm fairly confident that he threw it because it was like four degree. You know, he was hawking that deodorant. Hey, hold on. Let's not start being modest now. You know, when you throw it up on the LinkedIn and saying, I may have inspired his. Well, I put it at the very end. Like, if you're going to read all this other shit about me, like, <laughs> then you get the punchline at the end. That's the opposite of what you It's like the definition of daring the lead. I may have read it for the first time, actually, in Fast Company, Beckley. So don't be shitting me here. <laughs> You know, it's it's incredible, you know, a brand to bootstrap to 100 million plus. I mean, there's kind of like this like death valley that happens when you're a digitally native company around like, you know, 30 to 40, 50 million, where it's really hard to kind of like, you know, plow through the the sludge without some accelerant. What have you seen from the brand that you think is is pretty unique in, in its capabilities to connect to their customer and really kind of drive forward despite those kinds of numbers and sustaining that kind of growth? So I think a few things. One, there's just some massive macro trends in our favor. You know, the disintermediation of people from their health and fitness, whether that's Peloton, Whoop, you know, you don't have to go to a doctor to get that readout. You don't have to go to a gym to get that workout. You don't need to have a nutritionist or you don't need to necessarily go to Whole Foods to get and create a smoothie for yourself to get all the nutrients that are in athletic greens. So people I think are broadly looking for ways to take ownership of their health. So that's not something that we started. We're a big enabler of it. And I think that it also empowers us. So we have that big macro trend. We have the trend of people focusing a lot on their health and and whatever they can do for their immune system during COVID. And then I think there's also been a, like the mediums that we choose to communicate on have probably been the least impacted by sort of the global communication upheaval of the last couple of years. So we're really heavily invested in podcasts. We're really heavily invested in digital creators. And those are people who take the product, love the product, and are excited to recommend it to their audiences and to their communities. And I think that that sort of creator-first approach has been more kind of COVID proof and in some ways even accelerated by trends that have come in the last few years. A lot of brands that have looked to slow down their advertising in the last couple of years because, you know, they can't get product to the shelves or they don't want to launch a new thing that they were hoping, you know, some other cultural event that now is shut down. So they're going to wait to launch or hold that spend back. We saw everybody kind of getting more conservative and put our pedals in the metal. And we have this incredible supply chain team that has figured out how to get the product from New Zealand to everyone around the world. And that has enabled us to double down on our performance and media and partnership spend where other people were cutting back. And so not only are we spending more, but we're doing it in sort of an advantageous environment And we were able to get our supply and logistics to actually deliver against that increased demand, which is its own challenge during COVID. So how are you measuring that? So as you think about this Delta, right? So, I mean, we're obviously supporters of podcasts on here. I'm not sure how much Pub and paid you to say that. Put that aside. How do you think about, we have all these conversations around iOS and the idea of being right in front of people and all of a sudden you can't. So now as you think about where you go from here and you think about being a DTC business, what's the measure? What's the guardrails? How are you thinking about that future? 
We're building that plan now. You know, we have a lot of new leadership on the performance side and the partnership side. You know, I'm new relatively. The big question we have is what are the things that we can do that are not sort of direct performance that are going to drive down our cost per acquisition over time and also increase the value of that acquisition. Like we have a very simple business. Get a lot of people in and make it as sticky as possible and make them want to stay as long as possible. That's it. Like that's the entire business model. And the longer they stay, you know, the more you can spend to bring them in because, you know, a higher lifetime value means you can go after it from a cost per acquisition in different ways. And so what we're trying to do is really on two fronts, one from a brand and positioning point of view, where can we hit certain targets to drive in certain different messaging ways to drive down our cost per acquisition and from a partnerships and podcasts and that sort of thing, like we are definitely, you know, like our big podcasts have a link that they send to. So we're measuring like everyone who comes through that link. And one of the things that's pretty cool about podcasts is that if you find someone and you're like, oh, they have 20,000 listeners, but like this thing is blowing up and maybe at the end of the year, they're going to have 75,000 listeners or 50,000 listeners. You can buy that year at 20,000, right? And so like podcasts are a really interesting place to invest because not only are you investing at a certain point, but you're investing in a brand mode because in the time that you have that relationship, no one else can get that voice. They can maybe get that audience some other way, but they can't get that voice. And so being really smart about how we build those relationships and thinking about them in a more long-term way, I think is a big part of how we want to engage with creators in general, but definitely in podcasts. And then the second thing is... Well, Beckley, I think that's all the time we have today. I think I got exactly what yeah. I needed out of this conversation. So thank you so much for being with us. Oh, that's great. Uh, I got stuff to do too, so... <laughs> no, I mean, look, when it comes to the content side of things, I know uh, personally that you're very, very particular over the storytelling and, you know, even like gone through, obviously, a long journey of iterating and seeing what resonates with target audience. Some background fodder here is that, you know, we worked on a program called Unrevealed Together and Athletic Greens created the Athletic Greens uh, Health and Wellness Campus in the back with Dale Moss, my partner as like the spokesperson over there. And now as we're kind of going through some of the content and, you know, looking to build that series, what I thought was really interesting about you is when we took the walk through the location, you're like, well, you know, I don't want this to be a talk series where it's just like you're on director chairs and people are just staring at you. You know, it needs to be different. Can we put it in a circle? Can we have different angle shots? And the way that you started directing, let's say just what would normally be looked at as a simple one-on-one -on -one conversation really did feel more personalized and engaging and touching to like an intended audience. So I'm kind of curious to hear, how do you go about like testing and iterating, taking your learnings from whether it's the Bleacher Report or elsewhere, and then also then testing your audience here with content to see what type of tone and style resonates? I think broadly speaking, the way that content is distributed now, probably the case always, this is what I'm living. So I really, it really strikes me encourages on like a mathematical level copycats. 
in a way that maybe wasn't possible before the algorithmic intelligence that sort of supports all these different decisions that people are making. And from a brand point of view, that presents an interesting question, which is sort of like, do you do this thing that you know works and you know it like mathematically, you have the best opportunity for a certain level of engagement or viewership or whatever, if you kind of do it exactly like this, or do you look for ways in which the brand can really stand out, which is a risk given that you do not necessarily have like this trend or like performance best practice to base it on. And I think for the wellness category, the flatness of the creative is pretty evident. I mean, this is like including ours right now, like this is something we're really working on is if you look at a lot of different brands that are sort of doing different things, they're all talking about all in one. They all kind of have this clean aesthetic. They all, a lot of them even use the color green, which is something that's obviously really endemic to us. And so if you're trying to build a breakthrough operation you can't do that looking and sounding like everybody else unless you're just going to outspend everyone. And we're not in position where we're just going to like spend everyone into the ground. Like when if a PepsiCo or something gets decides they want to make a lookalike product, like they'll probably drop millions of dollars into it that we don't have. But that can't be our strategy. So we need to find ways to differentiate ourselves, not just in the messaging, but in the delivery system, in the look and feel. And so that's, I think, what I'm always pushing for is like, how can we be really specific and thoughtful in how we produce this content so that not only just the messaging and the content itself, but the look and feel of it, the visual approach can say something about our brand whether you watch it the whole way through or you just see the keyframe or you maybe see five or 10 seconds. We're working on those kind of brand and content pillars and guidelines, but I think innovation and trial and error has got to be a part of it, especially given the landscape that to me will really reward whoever figures out how to kind of set the standard and establish what this category is all about. And I would actually say, you know, Beckley, I was super impressed. I am also a user, a consumer of AG1. So I was super impressed. I'm a product first, you know, branding or brand person. And I have to say, like, I grew up with the super hippie health and wellness, best practices, juicing my own greens from, you know, farm fresh vegetables. And I've tried many powders before trying to get a, a simpler solution. And it really wasn't until your product that I was completely and totally blown away by taste and the way that it mixes with the water or whatever you put it in a smoothie, et cetera. Like I was an early adopter of this idea of the importance of getting your greens, you know, sort of, or your nutrients as efficiently as possible. So as a brand person and marketer, I think a lot of your marketing, especially we know today, because the internet will tell you starts with your product. Given that context, can you tell me a little bit about your approach? Cause I really think to your point, I'm breaking through your product is an absolute innovation and a breakthrough in the category. And I can totally see how middle America and ma it would have mass appeal that more people would adopt this type of idea of incorporating to their routine. So you can tell me a little bit more about how the heck did you change the game of greens? Because they are absolutely incredible. And I'm a tough critic, so I'm blown away. So tell me a little bit about that. Well, I didn't do any of it. You know, this is something our founder, Chris, is. this is something that's near and dear to his life story. You know, he spent 
thousands of dollars figuring out how to make himself healthy. He had these gut health issues and immune response issues, and he's trying to figure out how to help his body absorb more nutrients, improve his gut health, and really went on like a personal quest to create this product. And part of it was he's going to have to drink it every day, so he wants it to taste good, you know? And I think taste, we're working on right now, you know, some other, you know, future products or future iterations and taste is a huge consideration. And the reason is we're asking you to put this in your body every day. And part of what Athletic Greens is as a company, what we want to stand for is this super high end, most premium foundational nutrition product, but for everybody. And to be for everybody You have to be simple, you have to be convenient, and you have to taste good. And so being a product that people want to have every day requires that you be good tasting. And I think there's a lot of people like you who will try greens products or create your own smoothies. And to you, the benefit, like knowing that you're eating super healthy, you're like, great, I will suffer through the kale a little bit. If it means that I'm getting these benefits, because I personally am like so jazzed up about these benefits. But if we want to be a product that millions and millions of people are taking every day, that is absolutely not going to cut it. You know, it has to be something that if it's not delicious, you know, if it's not hitting quite that bar, which is a very high bar in people's minds, how can it be something that tastes good to you every single day, which is also a very high bar? But that's what we need to hit if we're going to get the level of adoption and sort of become that mass staple foundational brand that sets the category playbook. Yeah, I'm super excited for it because I heard there was, I read, tell me if I'm quoting this incorrectly, but something like 30 something plus iterations and more to come. So already I'm impressed and I'm excited. Yeah, we're at 52, working on 53. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, y'all, I just finished reading through the July 8th Indicator newsletter by The Lead, and in 60 seconds or less, here are the headlines from the Innovation Move section that I thought were most notable. So Dormy grows its live stream commerce by hosting live shopping events on its own platforms. Hey Fashion, launched by Eileen Fisher, is a new platform developed to help brands execute circularity action plans. Pinterest announced a a new CEO. It's followed by the company's biggest rollout of tools designed for e-commerce. Gap forms a partnership with India's largest retailer, Reliance Retail, and CVS Pharmacy launches a new skincare centers with a layout similar to Ulta and Sephora's Shop and Shops. You can dive into these articles plus much more by subscribing to the Leeds newsletter at the-lead.co. And for extra credit, if you are at the Leeds Summit Innovation Summit in Brooklyn on the 12th and 13th of July, uh, I will be there moderating a panel on new technologies. See you there. Change is inevitable and you always, you, you either are the person to replace yourself or you let somebody else replace you. So I love your approach to innovation. Speaking about that, you talk about roadmap. I mean, you guys are building the dream. It's a you built a hero product or a single product or a business around a single product that's exceptional. What does that look like in the future, though, now that you have injection of cash, now that you're growing the business? Are you guys going to stay this very impressive single skew product, hero product? Or is there more in the pipeline we can get excited about? I don't think there's anything I can reveal that you can get excited about. What I'll say, though, is that I think a real power of our brand is that we are one product right now. 
And the sort of wellness industrial complex is positioned to sell you more and more things, fix this, fix that, take this for this, take this for that. And we need to be really, really thoughtful about future products because one of our core offerings, and it's the same kind of gets back to this iteration story is like, we'll do the research for you. There's a better probiotic, we'll put it in there and we're not going to you know, make you search around and figure it out yourself. If we start offering a new product that you have to take on top of AG1 every morning, we're kind of directly controverting this essentialist credo at the heart of our brand, which is that it's actually easy, simple, convenient to get comprehensive nutrition that tastes good. And so we need to be really smart about how we do that and to make sure that future products that we bring fit into your day and into your life the same way that AG1 does. And it doesn't feel like we're just trying to sell you that new thing because that's where every other brand has gone. And it's not been driven by the consumer. It's been driven by we're a public company. We need to have more products. We need to show diversification versus what does the consumer actually want and need? And what's that experience? And like, we need to live there as long as possible. Otherwise, you end up kind of diluting your brand. You become like everybody else. Once you're like everybody else, why would someone seek you out online or, or follow that ad to subscribe? Isn't Wall Street the worst? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, now that they've given us all this money, you know. Uh, yeah. As a brand guy, I got, I got one for you. I'm curious. As a brand guy, so you mentioned Connected Fitness and like I'm just trying them all out. Like I feel like I'm if I had another wrist, I'd be wearing another device, but, uh, but they're great. But another common denominator you share with them is the famous investor, right? This notion of the new celebrity-backed investor. As a brand guy, how do you think about using rather than abusing celebrities when they're actually invested in the product and it's not simply a paycheck, they are inspired to promote without going too far and letting them take over the story? One thing is, do the investors connect with the business opportunity or the mission? Not everyone has to be both and not everyone has to care about the mission that deeply, but the ones that we build our brand around absolutely have to. And so, you know, our vision is to bring foundational nutrition to everybody. Um, it's why we support No Kid Hungry in America as our key charity. You know, we think that nutrition is a human right. And so we're looking for ways even outside of our product to extend that proposition as far and wide as possible. We also support some other nutritional insecurity related charities around the world. And then the other one is sustainability. So we're a carbon neutral certified organization. And so I think those are two huge levers for evaluating brand participation is, do you want to be a part of solving these problems or be a part of the messaging around how we can raise awareness and raise engagement and participation in our audience around these issues? Or do you just want to say, like, go buy this product because it's good for me. Uh, it's good for my bottom line as well. That's fine. And that's super valuable. And we're like thrilled that anybody wants to promote the product. But when we think about like the deeper brand engagement that we want to develop with them and bring to our platform, the filter is the mission. And for the people who get excited about that and get excited about the way that it can change people's lives, then that's who we're going to build around. And Beckley, I would like to ask you one other question about that, because I come from a, a marketing background at some of the largest and biggest uh, companies in the world. And 
it's always this balance that I think some of the disruptors like yourself have done really well of telling a brand narrative or a brand story and putting that mission at the forefront of your ad dollars. In some cases, sometimes it's just beautiful content and balancing that with the things that are paid or we know drive or deliver a KPI that I can come back and say, I've reduced my acquisition cost. I've brought in these many customers. I've achieved my goal. I would love to know from your perspective and background, what do you think the right balance is? Or what is the balance from your perspective now in this seat with a brand that has a beautiful mission and a story to tell and a great performing product with a lot of great campaign work to be done? So I think that The thing that differentiates us from a lot of traditional companies is that we are a subscription model. We're not just running campaigns for acquisition. We are running messaging campaigns for retention. And part of the reason that people stick with us is not just because they believe in how the product makes them feel, but that it's a brand and a mission that they want to associate with. And so I think that component of our business strategy gives us a space to really focus on this where we're not necessarily endangering like a pure acquisition play. That's kind of fundamental to how we're running our business and how we want to communicate. The other thing is that I'm trying to think through and we're building sort of a playbook that hopefully like really flattens the marketing communication or like the community aspect in a way that, you know, some brands will like have a super high level spokesperson. It's amazing. They go into some really cool looking TV creative. And then anyone who buys that product, they bought it maybe because they saw that person, but that's it. And what we kind of want to think about is like, how can we take this high level talent? As an example, we have Angela Cullen, who is world-class physio, does Lewis Hamilton's training and recovery. And she is giving her tips on training and recovery to our audience. And so like, we're trying to take the value at the top of that sort of talent continuum and drive it back into our community because retention is a business goal. And likewise, we want people to be excited about joining that community. So we need to take the community experience and bring it to above the line places and tell the story, not just about us, but about that community. And I think like when you flatten that out, it makes it a little easier to tell one coherent story. That's not like big talent over here, but like, here's what the actual product experience is, or it's product, 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 but like, what is a user actually living like? And so Those are the sorts of things that over the next year we need to get really good at to expand from a product that people truly just like love for what it is into more of that membership community movement feel that has got going and and we need to pour some gas on the fire now. Awesome. Uh, So Beckley, so you mentioned Peloton. One thing Peloton did really well was they anticipated the non-cyclists desires, right? They were able to allow someone who had no idea how to cycle to find their way into this life-enhancing cult, let's just call it. How do you do the same thing? Because I think that if you think about it, right, people hear powders, they think protein shakes, they think people that they've never, something they've never internalized at all. Alicia talked about middle America, we're talking about masses. How do you explain to someone who had never had a desire to have a nutrition supplement, drink, whatever we want to call it, to say, this is something you can, should, and will be doing. We just have to get you over that threshold. 
I think there's a variety of ways. I mean, I think that's basically like what, what our marketing plan yeah. is. Simeon coming in with a real light, quick question before we end things over here. Yeah, I have like a 40-page deck I can send you on that one. But jokes aside, I think the biggest unlock we're seeing now are the companies that can actually tell people. Health and wellness is this really broad, great theme that's taking over the world, but people have no idea how to do it. The companies that are able to help educate are the companies that are able to massively scale. That's what we found. Yeah, I mean, I think the other thing is that like companies that can really clearly show you how this integrates into your life in a convenient, frictionless way are the ones that win. So Peloton, I personally don't think like the benefits of cycling are why cycling versus other fitness is like why Peloton took off. I think it took off because it looked incredible. The trainers were incredible. And people could do it from home. And I think that the frictionless of that experience and building it into everyone's daily interactions was, it's just an amazing product lifestyle fit. And so I think that's what we have to explain really well is like, not everyone, everyone has a, a slot in their brain for the 10 minutes they take to make coffee or go run down to the corner and get something or whatever. Like they don't necessarily have that slot for us yet, but that's what we need to build is like show them how simple, how easy it is and show other people taking it into a part of their morning and a part of their life. Like my friend sent me this video of his son with uh, his AG shaker, AG1 shaker, basically like he puts the powder in, puts the water in, gives it to his three-year-old son and his son loves to do the shake. And to me, that's like the ideal for us because it's showing you here you are going through your morning with your young child. You're just, you know, trying to take care of yourself. And it becomes a part of not just your routine with yourself, but like your relationships around the home and with your kid and being a better parent and being more engaged. Like when we're making those connections and people see that as fundamental to this positive moment in their life that we're not asking much and we're offering a lot. I think that's where you get that stickiness. And so like ease of use and ease of adoption and telling that story and really showing it clearly are, I think, a huge, huge part of this. Man, I have a similar experience at home, but it, it ends up with a cocktail shaker with my two-year-old. So I'm not too sure fundamentally how, how I'm feeling about myself right now. But <laughs> 8.30 a.m. every morning. <laughs> my hand's shaking too much to do it myself. Beckley, look, this amount of capital that came in uh, definitely allows you to reach your customers in different ways than maybe the brand has been focused on before. More specifically, I mean, this is a digitally native, direct-to-consumer powerhouse of a brand. How are you all thinking about now physical touch points with the consumer and ability to do store-in-store -store retail strategies? Is that something on the horizon like we see so many other brands that are looking to kind of graduate from this stage? I think we need to find ways to get AG1 in the hands of as many people as possible. To Alicia's point, you know, it tastes really good and people aren't expecting that. And there's sort of only one way to prove it. And so getting it in people's hands, you know, whether that's a vending deal, you know, like one of my dreams would be to have uh, the AG1 travel pack vending machine 
in you know every Delta Sky Lounge or something, or even just in an airport terminal to be able to go to a sporting event and get an AG1 smoothie instead of a Coke or whatever while you're watching a game. Like we need to integrate into places where it's really differentiated, valuable, and fun to interact with our product. We have one product. So if we're going to do retail and it's a subscription model, so the retail experience is probably not necessarily going to be, if we go down that road, something that we're like, we're going to expect people to you know come in here and buy this product en masse every day. But it can be a big brand and experience driver for us. And so I think it is something that in-person events, whether that's a sort of retail purchase experience or it's just a way to interact with the product and brand, are definitely on the roadmap for us this year. And the goal will really be probably as much storytelling and as much brand education as it is product sales. And just to continue my own crusade, you do, I think, use wholesale. So I think like this, that you are digitally native, but you use other people's floors in theory. We have gone off of Amazon last year. So it's only direct. Yeah. I mean, I have the feeling that like the lookalike powders on Amazon probably sold really well the week of our, um, like last week when we had our uh, funding announcement because everybody was looking for us. All right. So, so let's go there. We've done a lot of work on the value of wholesale. I think it's becoming a, a bad guy, but it's really not. It's been a very great guy throughout retail's history. So you're in an interesting position where it sounds like you had wholesale and then backed away from it. So as you think about that channel dynamic, however quickly you want to take it, talk about DTC versus wholesale. Sure. So, I mean, I think a big goal for all of every person who takes AG1, like we want you taking it for months. These are like solving your gut health issues, improving all the things that AG1 improves. Like doesn't, it's not a Red Bull. You don't drink it and you're like, boom, I get it. Like amazing. I I feel like I can jump off this wall. It's a product that like drives, sustain, cumulatively building impact. And so we don't think it's the best experience for someone to buy a month and then have to go back and buy another month and then go back and buy another month. Like we want to make this as seamless and frictionless in your life as possible. And so I think one of the challenges with wholesale for us is how do we marry up the amazing distribution opportunity, which is really important and could unlock some major things for us with the core user experience that we're committed to having. That's really like the thing that we have to balance and solve. And I think there's certainly with the right partners, the way to do it, but that's kind of where we are now. And Beckley, what is the best place to follow you, your journey, as well as Athletic Green's journey and just kind of see what's what's going on with you? Yeah, you will be pretty disappointed by my social. So I will just push you to uh, Athletic Green's, which is at Athletic Greens on on all platforms. And then athleticgreens.com is where to buy. Is one click right at the top, takes you right to a a purchase page. It's a very slick little system there. So if you're interested in trying it, athleticgreens.com is the spot. Well, it has been incredible experiencing the brand from the 
physical in-person events side of things. Really incredible to hear you on the podcast. Definitely got a different lens and depth to how you're thinking about the brand. And of course, uh, we're excited to see it kind of go forward and and see where you all can take it from last week's announcement forward, because this is a, a new beginning once again for the company. So congratulations. Great to see you in the spot that you're in. Thank you for being part of the podcast, everybody. Beckley Mason. Thanks for having me. It's great. Hey, y'all, one more thing. The opinions and views expressed on this show are those of the guests and the hosts and not necessarily shared by Mouth Media Network, Bellwether Culture, or their partners. Thank you to DJ Uzo of Uzo Media and nrvld.co for providing our music signature. Oh,